Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tyson Alexander. Uh, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm the assistant director of the Counseling Center at ACU. And so I've been asked to come and speak to you guys this morning about anxiety. Uh, and I'm very happy to have this opportunity to be able to speak to you guys. Um, I have a PowerPoint up here uh, that hopefully will work. This is already not working, John. Oh, here we go. I'm going to go over what we're going to talk about today because we do have a lot of stuff that I am going to cover. But we're going to talk about the difference between stress and anxiety. Uh, a lot of us feel anxiety. In fact, by, by a lot of us, I mean every single person that's alive feels anxiety. And we feel that for a reason. Um, I have a lot of students who come into my office. In fact, uh, we just did our end of the year stats. And probably, I think what it is about 85% of the students who came to see us this year their main issue that they wanted to talk about was anxiety. And I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with a student, oh, I'm just so anxious, and I just feel so much stress and so pressure, I'm just so worked up. I want to not feel anxiety. And I'm like, sorry, bro, I can't help you. <laughs> like, you're going to feel anxiety. Like, there's nothing that we can do to stop anxiety, but it's what we can do to, to kind of change the way that we respond to that anxiety. And so that's kind of the conversation we're going to get into and kind of discuss that difference between what stress that everyday stress and then what that profound, stronger anxiety, more clinical anxiety would be and how stress can be a good thing. Uh, we're going to talk about what's, what happens in our body, how our brain reacts, how we react physically uh, to, to anxiety when, when we're feeling uh, when we're feeling it that intensely. What, what is going on in our body? What's going on in our brain? Some very important things we need to kind of go over. We're going to talk about uh, the different symptoms that we feel, how they interact. And then it's my hope and my goal, we're going to talk about, and I can send you guys home with some tools to help deal with anxiety. Okay? Like I said, everybody feels it. So everybody feels it. Yeah, great, Tyson, great. Now what do I do with it? So my, my hope is to give you guys something that you can take home to help with that. And, and, and part, a portion of that is in that handout that you got as you were coming in. Now, that's some of the stuff that we are going to cover and go over. But, but I do want to give you guys some practical things to take home. Oh, then we are going to end with a discussion on sleep, how sleep affects us and how important sleep is uh, just in general, but especially when we're talking about anxiety as well, too. Uh, so difference between stress and anxiety. So that's page five of your workbook. You don't have a workbook. Okay, I teach this, I teach this course uh, on campus as well, too. I do a little uh, it's a workshop throughout the year for our students, and they get this big uh, workbook that they have. Uh, but we're going to talk about the difference between stress, everyday anxiety, how they affect us, okay? And they both trigger the same response, uh, which is kind of part of the problem when we feel stress, we get that triggering response in our brain the same way as if we were kind of facing a life-threatening situation, okay? But stress, everyday stress, is a response to a known environmental situation or a known environmental factor. So it makes sense for us to be stressed whenever we go to a place we don't know. Whenever we're asked to do something that's perhaps out of our comfort zone at work or, or you know, something kind of pops up, we, we get a, an unexpected bill in the mail and we're, or we're passed to do something. Th those are known environmental factors that make sense. Yes, of course, I'm going to feel stressed because of these things. That, that's what everyday stress is. We respond to those kind of triggering environments. Speaking in front of people. That, that's one of them. Yes, I, I feel stressed this morning. I feel stressed this morning speaking in front of you guys. I feel stressed this morning because Daniel Mathis also texted me at 10 p.m. last night saying that he was throwing up and that he has a stomach virus. And so I have to speak in front of you guys. Then I have to stand over here and sing in front of you guys. So, yes, I'm feeling a little bit of stress this morning. But it makes sense. I should be, right? Those are those situations in life where you're like, yeah, yeah, you should feel stressed. Um, everyday stress usually goes away. 
once I'm done, uh, <laughs> once I'm done with this, and then once I'm done with that, uh, I'll feel better, right? I'll, I'll start to calm down. I won't be feeling that stress as intensely as I was. So everyday stress, it tends to dissipate. It tends to go away once that factor has been removed, okay? Once we're kind of past that event. Um, it's something we all experience, and it can be motivational. That, that stress that, that I'm feeling can motivate me if I'm handling it and managing it right. Now, it may sound crazy, but I'll talk about that more in a little bit as well, too. Um, so the clinical anxiety. So that was everyday stress, kind of normal stress that we feel. How does that compare to what we would define somebody who is dealing with clinical levels of anxiety? Somebody that's coming into me, this is, this is the factors that I'm going to look at that help me kind of differentiate between, oh, is this student just kind of facing stress, kind of being alive, being a person? Or is this something that's perhaps having a more profound effect in their life? And so the first one is it occurs with chronic stress, major stressful event, or when that stressful event, if I'm still feeling anxious and stressed tomorrow uh, about this thing that I'm doing right now, you know, that might be a sign that I'm experiencing more intense levels of anxiety. That, so that, I, that clinical anxiety persists after that environmental factor has gone. Okay, so I'm, I'm experiencing that on a continual basis. Uh, the intensity could be exaggerated to what you would expect uh, for a normal situation. So if I'm experiencing clinical anxiety, yes, like we already talked about, me being up here in front of you guys is, is a stressful thing. If I'm experiencing that anxiety in a clinical way, I'm going to be feeling it more intense. I'm going to be freaking out. You're going to see me like shaking up here. I'm going to be like sweating. I'm, I may even show up. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big portion of it as well, too. If I'm experiencing anxiety at that level, I tend to avoid in, in a big, big way those situations. So, so an, an exaggerated feeling of that, of that stress uh, causes significant distress. It's not motivational. Like we talked about stress, everyday stress being motivational. Clinical levels of anxiety, they don't motivate. They tend to kind of keep us away from those things. Uh, perpetuated by avoiding. I could take many forms. Um, Everyday anxiety is a motivator. Let me talk a little bit more about that. Um, also, have the benefit in working at ACU. We have a very close relationship with our athletic department that's there. We're starting to kind of develop some uh, some relationships there and working with more of our athletes, more of our coaches. Uh, I did the pre this presentation for our coaches as well, too. And, and some of the research that I was doing, I was doing some research about sports psychology. And they talk about uh, this sweet spot of anxiety. This portion where I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling stress, I'm feeling pressure about this situation. If I can manage that in a healthy way, I can use that to motivate me. Because if I'm feeling stressed, my senses are sharper. Right? If I'm, if I'm stressed out, I'm anxious about something, my brain is telling me, you need to be alert. You need to be paying attention to what's going on around you in the world, and you need to be more aware. So it sharpens my senses. It heightens my awareness. It lets me know that I need to pay attention. So, so just in nor normal everyday life, we can use that to help, to help motivate us. If I'm stressed out about this, I should probably prepare, right? I tell students all the time, well, I'm stressed out about tests. Have you studied? No. Well... <laughs> What the heck's wrong with you? Like, what? Like, use that stress, use that that kind of pressure that we're feeling about those situations to help motivate. Let me prepare. Let me sharpen my senses. Let me use that to, to kind of uh, uh, heighten what I can do. And that, that's kind of like I was talking about the sports. Athletes are able to use that as well too. I, I was watching the uh, the World Cup uh, yesterday. Any soccer fans in here? Like a handful? Good. Come on, guys. It's the sport of the world, right? Come on. It's the World Cup. But I was watching the World Cup yesterday, and uh, so you guys probably don't know, like one of the, the, the really like great players on the team of Portugal, he was uh, about to take a penalty kick, about to take a penalty shot, right? And you see him 
He's taking these big, deep breaths, right? These big, huge breaths. I'm like, hey, that guy is managing his anxiety. When we take, <laughs> he's getting himself ready to, to, to make this goal, to make this shot for his team. And he knows that, hey, I'm getting kind of worked up. I need to take this breath. He's managing that, getting to that sweet spot of using that stress to help motivate him. This is just a little picture, fancy picture, fancy little diagram that just illustrates what I've been talking about. When we get to the top of that bell curve, that's what we're looking for, right? We've got just enough stress, just enough uh, pressure to help us perform at that level that we're looking at. When we get to those extremes, we're either not going to perform the way that we want to, you know, we're going to get, uh, we're going to tense up, you know, it's kind of that, that athlete stepping up to the free throw line, you know, there's like no time left on the clock, the game is tied, they got this chance to win, they shoot these free throws like every single day of their life, just automatic, just back to back to back, and then they, oh, tense up when it goes and it just doesn't even hit the rim, right? That's that pressure, that's we've allowed that stress to become, to become too much. Um, talk about the avoidance and exposure cycle. This is how we, we tend to allow that anxiety to build when we start riding this avoidance and exposure cycle. Okay, We start training ourselves, training our mind uh, that when we avoid those situations, we are successful in dealing with that stress when we're really not, right? So the avoidance is, it's a common response to our anxiety, but it creates that roller coaster. It, so, so our brain is sending us this message, hey, we need to be aware, right? Sharpens our senses, hey, alert, there's a stressful situation that we're involved in. We need to pay attention to that. And then we step away from that. We avoid that. Uh, like a perfect example, kind of going back, and I'm sorry I'm using a lot of examples with students, but that's my world. Um, so a, a student is really uh, just hyper anxious about uh, you know, you're going on a date with this person that, that kind of asked them out, right? Or, or going and hanging out with a group of friends that they don't know. I hear that a bunch as well, too. They're like, oh, I just don't know anybody. You know, I don't know anybody that's going to be there at that event. I, I'm just, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Ah, they're, they're feeling this pressure, this, this kind of social pressure, social anxiety. And so you know, a lot of times they, they may not go. They, they avoid that. They, they, instead of going to that, that event, that party, that get-together, they, they stay home and they stay in their room. And then what happens next time? Next time they get invited to go out, they do something. Well, no, I'm going to go and stay in my room. Because brain, our, our brains, and we're going to talk about this a little, a little bit as we progress as well too, our brain is dumb. Okay, our brain is only as smart as our lungs, as our kidneys, you know, as another organ of our body. It does the job that it's supposed to do, right? It is not the the. the we talk about brain, we think, oh, smart, intelligent, right? No, our, our brain is just it's just an organ of our body. It, it, it's going to store that avoidance event. It's going to say, hey, we were stressed, we avoided that, we healthily dealt with that. We didn't have to put ourselves in that situation. Success, and we get this little filing cabinet person in our brain that goes and puts it in that file of, hey, we did a good job. So next time that we feel that stress again, our brain is going to be telling us and yelling at us, in fact, avoid, avoid, avoid. Don't do it. You know, last time we didn't do it, we won. But what happens to us is that we start becoming more and more isolated. You know, uh, instead of being able to, to kind of overcome that, we become defeated by that. So that, that avoidance roller coaster is that, that, that cycling that happens of we have that stressful event, we avoid it, brain registers it as success, so we continue to see, see it as success, and so we continue to avoid. And so what we try to coach individuals who are dealing with this anxiety or this buildup or that everyday stress is to expose, to take that step towards, not to take that step away. You know, to feel that fear, perhaps, that we're feeling, but to do it anyways. 
you know, to push forward and to, and to take that step towards those things that we may be feeling that anxiety about. Because I, I believe, and I, I tell my students this all the time, I believe that every emotion that we have is God-given, it is, is wired into us with, a, with a, just an intelligent design for a purpose. Like we feel our emotions for a reason. You know, God didn't set us up with these emotions for, for just because he was like, hey, this ought to be fun to see how people react whenever they have these emotions. If for a purpose and for a reason. So I believe that our anxiety helps to teach us things. That fear that we have about situations is a teacher. It helps us to learn, right? I have learned I have a fear of snakes. That is a healthy fear because that fear has taught me that snakes are dangerous. Snakes are bad. You know, it is not, it is not an intelligent thing for me to take a step towards a snake. Fear has taught me that message. It has helped me to learn that. It has helped me to say, okay, that's probably something we should avoid. But, but when we start adapting those things in different kind of situations, it does continue to pull us away. It continues to isolate us. When we're not listening to that message of fear, we tend to kind of find ourselves in a lot of isolation. Um, fight, flight, or freeze response. This is how our brain res- responds and reacts to those threatening situations. So if I, if I see a snake, what are, what are all of you going to do? If we see a snake crawling across this floor right here, what, what's every single, uh, every, everybody in here is going to do? Scream first, yes, and then what? Make a beeline for the door, right? Even though the snake is like way over there in the corner, we're all going to be way over there on the other side of the corner. You know, we know that it can't get us, but in our mind, we're thinking it can't get us. So we, we have run away. We have flight. That's that response that our brain is telling us, get away. Other responses that our brain has to those, those fear messages is also freeze. You know, we also can lock up. We can see that snake kind of crawling across the floor. And we just, mm, if I don't move, it won't see me, <laughs> you know, which, which is a, you know, kind of survival instinct that we have inside of us of, of just, mm, just lock up. If we just, if we just stay frozen, nobody will see me. It's got to come by my little three-year-old playing hide and seek. You know, if I just really, really still, you're not going to notice me. I'm like, no, bro, I notice you're like, your head's popping above the couch. I can totally see you. Um, but that's that fight or flight. You know, that, that freeze is that third kind of option. Either we're going to, mm, some of us have that fight as well too in us. Uh, a, a lot of us, maybe we take a step towards that snake. Hey, I want to kick it across the room so it can't deal with me, right? That's probably what Tyler would do. He'd probably say, you know what, there's a snake in here. I want to get it out. So we have those three things that, that we respond to those fear messages with. That, then that's, and that's just, uh, the, the, it's, it's reactionary. There's nothing that we are sitting here processing what we should do. Our brain just, mm, just fires off that message and, and helps us to do that. And that's coming from the back portion of our brain. Like, I'm going to talk a little bit about our brain and, and how our brain responds. Uh, Dr. Brinkman's going to talk a little bit more about our brain next week, right? And, and, and I'm sitting here talking about it, and he's probably sitting there going, no, that's totally wrong. Uh, so, so all the information that I give you today about our brain and how it responds to anxiety, make sure you back that up with, with Sam, okay? Uh, but when our brain has this reactionary portion, that this back portion, it's kind of that, that amygdala that is our survival portion of our brain that just automatically fires off that message okay we see that 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 kind of stimulus we respond okay uh, we don't have that time necessarily to, to, to process what's kind of going on we just respond and it helps it helps us survive like like i said it's there for a reason that snake analogy is kind of the, the perfect one another one that i use kind of on our workshop is we think back about like us, when we were kind of in that time of our lives, that kind of primal time where we're hunters and gatherers, you know, this is like hundreds, thousands of years ago. If I'm going hunting, I had a big hunting party with me, and we're going into the woods, and we're trying to find some food to bring back to our family. 
We see this cave and we're like, oh, let's go check this cave out, see what's in this cave. Maybe there's some food in there. We get in this cave, there's a bear in this cave. Okay, fight, flight, or freeze. Boom, amygdala's got me out of there. We're, we're, we're taking care of ourselves. We are surviving. Next time I go in the forest, I see that cave. I know that's where bear lives. I'm not going to go in that cave, right? So that fear again has taught us that message, but it's, it's just kind of that reactionary thing. Um, yeah, we kind of went over that already. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. That last kind of bullet point that's there, that what are those anxiety kind of producing events that we face? We're no longer, most of us, most of us anyway, are no longer facing those anxiety threats like stepping into a cave with a bear, right? We're not. I mean, I, who's, who's done that? Anybody in the room? No, nobody. Okay, cool. I thought maybe the one person would be like, oh, I've done that. No, nobody. Like, we don't, we don't put ourselves in those situations anymore. But our our brain still responds to our stressful situations as if we were stepping into a cave with a bear. All right? My stress that, I'm t- that I told you guys about me speaking up here in front of you guys, my brain still registers that as you're about to get attacked by a bear. That's not my brain's fault. My, my brain, like we said, our, our brain's not smart, right? Our brain, it just does what it's supposed to do. It, it, it's not, it's not, we have the ability, and I think it's another God-given ability that we have to have that portion of us that we would call like our consciousness or our mind to kind of separate ourselves from what's going on in our brain and what we're reacting to, what we're responding to, to think and say, wait a second, brain. Yeah, I know that you're telling me that getting up in front of these people and kind of talking is about the same thing as, you know, facing down a bear in a cave, but it's not. All right, so we need to cool it. We need to kind of chill, take it easy. It's going to be okay. So we have that other aspect of ourself that can kind of help talk our brain out of the messages that it's trying to send us, right? Because our brain, I love that picture too, by the way. That's just such a, it just cracks me every time I see it. But our brain is just doing the job that it's supposed to do. So the threats are different. The threats that we face are different than the threats that we have faced in our, in our past. In our kind of, but, but we respond the same. Our, our, our brain is responding to the same. Our system continues to get mistriggered in that way. Anxiety, stress, uh, bear, no. So, so we have to learn, and that's what kind of part of this, this talk, like I said, I wanted to send you guys home with some stuff. We have to learn those things that we can do to help step outside of that, okay? To step outside of those big kind of profound messages that we're receiving and learn to rewire our brain and the reactions and the responses that we have to those situations that we're involved in, okay? Is this making sense kind of so-so so far? Sam, am I doing Okay. Okay, so I got a thumbs up. Uh, so that, that false alarm that continues to go off is what we start paying attention to. And so how, how do we do that, you guys might be asking. How do, we, how do we take a peek at what's going on in our brain and kind of learn different ways of, of, of dealing with that? The model that we use when I'm teaching this workshop is called a CBT model, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. There are numerous ways therapeutically that we can deal with anxi- with anxiety, even medically, you know, that we can deal with anxiety. This just happens to be one of them. Uh, so the, the way that this teaches us is to explore the different ways about us, about what happens inside of us and how we respond and react when we're feeling that emotion, anxiety, okay? So we check out our thoughts. We check out the feelings that we're having. We, what do we do? What are our behaviors in that moment? And then physiologically, what's going on? What's happening inside us just physically? But understanding those, understanding is always the first step in dealing with something. If I can understand myself and how I am responding to that anxiety and what's happening up 
upstairs? What are those messages that I'm getting? What am I initially feeling? What's happening in my body? I can take that step towards dealing with it. And it's going to be different for all of us. Like I can sit up here and tell you, well, this is what's going to happen. You're going to do this, 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 and this. Well, it's not. It's not going to be the same. Like how I respond and what my body kind of does when I'm feeling anxiety is going to be different than yours. Like I tend to feel anxiety in my stomach. Uh, I kind of get a little uneasy stomach. Like, I haven't eaten anything this morning because, like, I'm anxious. I'm like, my stomach's like, well, you ain't eating, bro. I'm like, okay. That's where I feel it. And others feel it perhaps, like, in your shoulders. You know, I have asked students who feel it in their head a lot. I had a young man walk in this, the, uh, to my office uh, this past week who was having a, an anxiety attack, and he was just shaking. Like, his entire body was just almost, like, convulsing. So, like, like we all experience it differently. The important thing is to understand yourself, to understand how you react and respond to the anxiety because if I know my physical trigger or if I know my, my, my thought trigger, my feeling trigger perhaps to what's going on, then I know, hey, this, this, is, this is anxiety. Like this is something that I can deal with. If I start feeling my stomach starting to get uneasy, that's kind of like that kind of check engine light that kind of comes on your car and saying, something's going on. You know, something's kind of happening. Maybe I do need to kind of be aware of something. Maybe I need to handle this before it becomes a bigger thing, you know, um, you guys watch Big Bang Theory? You know, so that uh, when uh, Penny is driving in her car, she's giving Sheldon a ride, right? And Sheldon's getting in the car, and he's like, your check engine light's on. And she's like, oh, yeah, that thing's been on, you know, for, for years. That thing's always on. It doesn't mean anything. And he's like, but your check engine light's on. Like, you, you have to go and fix that, right? It's the same thing with, with, with how we kind of interact with our body. Like, if I'm not paying attention to that check engine light, then there's a, a stronger likelihood of that becoming more Severe. Like it may just be that check engine light just may be like, oh yeah, you need to turn, you need to tighten your gas cap. Okay, no big deal. I need to get out and tighten my gas cap. It could be that something something bigger is going on that I'm not aware of, but that light is giving me that indicator that, that I need to pay attention. Okay, so the way that we can utilize these things is to to kind of as a check engine light. If I can know what's going on in my head. What's going on in my feelings? What am I doing? Like, how, what, how am I interacting with people? Am I starting to kind of avoid people that I'm close with? Or am I starting to kind of whatever? And then what am I feeling physiologically? Those are my check engine lights. And when those come on, what do I do? Um, that one of the handouts that I gave you uh, it's called a cross-section cross formulation. That sounds really fancy. It's really not. But it's a good fancy-sounding word that makes me sound smart. This is, is helping us to break that down, okay? Those four things that we talked about in that CBT model and helping us to understand ourselves, helping us to understand our anxiety, this just gives us another tool to help break that down, okay? And it, as you guys can kind of see on, on, on your paper, it just divides it into four things. It's like, what is, the, what is the experience? Like, what is the stressor? What is the event? What is the thing that I'm feeling anxious about? And then what are my thoughts, and what are my feelings? I can't tell you. That might be the hardest part for some of us is understanding what my feelings are. Like, like we can be, like, I, I, I wish I could tell you. I have so many stories that I could probably share with you, but I have some students that are brilliant, just intellectually, just 4.0, med school, going off, great things, just intelligent. Like, you have super intelligent conversations and can say, like, super intelligent things. And then I say, okay, well, I hear that happen. What do you feel about that? And they just just will look at you just like deadpan, like, you know, just start like mumbling their words even because they don't know what's going on inside emotionally. So that that sometimes gives a lot of people a lot of trouble, being able to understand what we are feeling. You may be thinking, well, I'm feeling anxious, so my feeling is going to be anxious. No, 
Not necessarily. There could be a lot of other things. You know, we feel anxiety. Uh, 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 there can be a combination of emotions that we can be feeling uh, kind of mingled in with that anxiety. So paying attention to those things. And then lastly, kind of what we want to get towards changing is that behavior. What am I doing? Am I riding that avoidance roller coaster? Am I continue to feel that anxiety and, to, and, and pull away from that anxiety? Or am I taking a step towards that anxiety or that, that event that is providing that everyday stress? So this little homework, I say homework in, in air quotes, it is homework for my students, but homework for you guys is it, to practice that. Practice using that and, and, and getting to the point where you can practice using that to where you just come second hand and, and the goal being perhaps changing those behaviors from what they were before. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm not happy with how I'm participating with this stressful event, getting to that point where we can help, help ourselves to change how we respond and how we, how we react to that stressful event. Tools. There we go. First tool that I'm going to talk about with you guys this morning and, and dealing with that anxiety is deep breathing. Um, there's lots of ways to do this, lots of names for this, but just that simple taking in of that deep breath is profound. And being able to do that in a big way. You know, like, like Pastor Gary and Pastor Amy teach us, you know, what's that Hebrew word uh, for breath, for God? Is that the ruach? That, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that, right? You guys know that. Yeah. That breath, that, that power, that ruach, that, that spirit of God that, that kind of can come into our life. Uh, again, I think God has wired us very specifically for a reason. When we take that deep breath in, that kind of... Our body starts releasing natural tranquilizers throughout our circulatory system to help us calm down, to help kind of start to soothe ourselves. So tapping into that deep breathing. So we're going to practice this. This is something that I want to send you guys home with. If you're comfortable doing this with your eyes open, you can. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. But I'm going to teach you something that's called four square breathing. Okay? So it's four square, like the other names for it as well too, but four square is just easier for, for me to remember. Uh, and it's very simple. I want you to put your hand on your chest and then put your hand on your stomach. Okay? I want you to just practice taking some deep breaths in. And, and I want you to feel the hand on your stomach moving more than the hand on your chest. Okay? They're both going to move a little bit, but I want you to, to, to feel that hand on your stomach moving more. Okay? And so I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you guys just practice taking a few breaths. Okay? Everybody feeling that hand on their stomach moving a little bit more, okay? So you can take your hands off your chest, off your stomach, but when we do this exercise, I want you to breathe in that manner, that manner that you just kind of practice. If you need to keep your hands there, you can, so you can kind of get that feel for it. But the breath that you're going to take is that breath that kind of expands your stomach a little bit more, okay? Um, so the four square breathing is you're going to breathe in for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, release for a count of four, and then wait for a count of four. And then we're going to do it again, okay? So it's breathing in, one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. And then when you breathe out, you're going to do it for a slower count of four. So two, three, four, and then wait. Two, three, four. Um, I actually went to um, a kind of a continuing education event about a month ago. 
it was about re rewiring our anxious brain. And she was talking about like this deep breathing. I'm like, oh yeah, we do that. And she's like, actually, she said, there's a portion of our brain that activates whenever we kind of do something with our hands. Like if we kind of, uh, kind of incorporate movement into what we're doing. And she said that they're starting to understand that there's profound effects that this has on the way that we relax and kind of tap into that deep breath as well too. And so she says that she actually teaches like the people that she works with that as you're doing that four square breathing to draw a square. So like you breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, wait, two, three, four. And she's just doing that physical movement. It kind of activates other areas of our brain that help us to kind of take that step back, kind of disconnect from what we're feeling a little bit and have that kind of greater understanding of, hey, we can calm down. We're in control here. Anxiety's not driving the bus. I'm driving the bus. Okay, so if you guys want to do that as you practice this, great. If you don't, that's okay too. A lot of my students, since I've been kind of teaching them that as well too, they're like, dude, I'm not going to be sitting in my class with my hand up in the air drawing a square. I'm like, all right, you're missing out, whatever. So I'll teach you. I'll say, well, you can just draw it on your leg. So I tell a lot of, you just draw a little square. Just, just as long as you're, you're, you're kind of moving your hands in some way is, is, what, it, is what it's kind of getting to. Um, but let's practice that. So I'll, I'll count for us. If I'm counting faster or slower than you need, do it at your own pace. But just so that you guys can get a feel for what this is going to be like, hands on your chest and your stomach if you need to, but just making sure that we're tapping into that, that stomach kind of breath. Okay. So we take a deep breath in. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. And then wait. Two, three, four. I'm going to do it again. Deep breath in. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Exhale. Two, three, four. And then hold. Then wait. Two, three, four. Did anybody feel anything as you were doing that? Did you kind of feel a little more relaxed, a little calm kind of starting to come in a little bit? I've seen a few heads kind of shake a little bit. When, this is something that needs practice, okay? This is just like anything else that we try to learn, that we try to do. We have to practice this. The more that you can practice this, the better. Uh, especially if you're the type of person who experiences that, that everyday stress in a more intense way. Or if you experience that anxiety that becomes demotivational more than motivational. Because what happens is that brain with the, our little duntat that kind of comes in, into, the, into the equation, when he, when he starts giving us that message, it's hard for us to respond to that unless we've practiced our responses to that. So, so being able to practice this at home, going over this, just, deep, just feeling it, feeling what that feels like is going to help in those times. Um, oh, yeah, that last point is kind of good as well. Too. Your mind may wander, okay? That's okay. This isn't meditation. Even in meditation, your mind's going to wander. Uh, I had somebody who's teaching me meditation once say, like, if you're meditating and your mind wanders, you're normal. Like, if you're thinking about nothing, you're dead. Like, we, we, we can't think about nothing, right? So if your mind is wandering as you're doing this, that's okay. It's important to bring yourself back to that breath. Let your mind wander. Hook it back in. Use your breath as that anchor to kind of secure yourself as back to being back to your center, Okay. Sleep hygiene. 
This is one of my favorite things to talk about. It's like a gross, I don't know why it sounds like gross, like in my head, like sleep hygiene, like hygiene, I don't know, it sounds gross. I wish they would come up with a different term for this, but sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene, is kind of adapting our sleep behaviors because sleep is profoundly important in helping us deal with just life in general. But when we talk about anxiety, when we talk about what's happening to ourselves just emotionally, sleep is huge. Making sure that we're getting enough sleep, making sure that we're getting quality sleep is profound found. We, we have this little, uh, the analogy that I've heard that best makes sense to me is we have this little office assistant that's up in our brain. And so that everything that's happening to us throughout the day is gathering all that information, right? And it's taking out all these little notes. Oh, we did this. Oh, we've got this coming up. Oh, this is going to happen, whatever. We have this little office assistant that's gathering all those kind of things. And at night when we sleep, that office assistant is at work and it's at work filing those things. It's at work following those things in the places that they belong, okay? And so if we're not getting enough sleep, we're not giving that office assistant enough time to work. We're not giving that office assistant enough time to do the job that it's supposed to do. So we're not getting enough sleep. We're feeling anxious. We wake up the next day, we're still feeling anxious. We're, we're waking up to a desk that is still cluttered with things. And so that's going to add to the anxiety that next day. So sleep becomes a big, big deal, okay? I can't stress that enough. Like, And, and working with college students... Oh. oh, they don't believe that. They don't believe this, like, at all. They're like, oh, I'm so freaking stressed out. I'm like, how much sleep are you getting? Oh, I got, like, three hours last night. And he's just like, okay, uh, why? Well, you know, this person came over and we're playing video games and, you know, stuff happened. And they're like, okay, uh, good luck on your test. But so sleep, uh, seven to eight is what research shows, okay? That's, and that's been kind of tried and true for a long time, just as much sleep as we kind of can get. But how we do that can be difficult for us sometimes. So sleep hygiene is about setting up that good sleep habits, essentially, is all it's kind of tapping into. What are we doing before bed? If I'm drinking coffee before bed, I'm probably not going to be sleeping well at night. If I go exercising right before I go to bed, I'm probably not going to be sleeping well before night. If I'm taking vitamin D, huh? This conversation we have in our house. If we're thinking vitamin D at night, <clears throat> probably not going to be sleeping very well. Vitamin D comes from the sun, right? Like we go outside and we stand in the sun to soak up all that vitamin D. Vitamin D tells our brain, hey, it's daytime outside. So it's going to inhibit that melatonin that our body is going to release into our system to help us to sleep. So if you're taking a vitamin D supplement at night, don't do it. Or, or, or do it and then don't complain to me that you're not sleeping well. How about that? <laughs> Uh, it's like taking melatonin in the morning. Yeah, you're probably not going to uh, function well at work if you're, if you're dosing your body with melatonin in the morning. So that's just one of the things. I get on your handout, that's actually, it says page 15, but that's the second page of your handout, is different things, different things to think about as you're developing those healthier sleep habits that are going to help improve a lot of things in your world. Uh, we go over the, uh, the electronic curfew, as you can imagine, like working with college students, that seems almost impossible to have an electronic curfew, um, but it is profound. They, they've actually done research with, uh, with students who are taking tests and that normal test anxiety that they're going to feel. They, they had one group that would take their phone into the test with them, they would put it on the desk, it was, it was off, face down, their levels of stress were still extremely high. Another group of students, they made them leave their phones outside the room, as they went in to take that test, their stress levels, dramatically lower, dramatically lower. It's crazy how much we have tied into those things, and that just fuels our anxiety. That just fuels our anxiety because we see it and we think, oh, my God, there's a whole world out there I'm not a part of. 
I need to find out what's going on in that world. So being able to disconnect ourselves from, not that electronics are a bad thing, like I love electronics, they're fantastic, but but if we're, again, like if I'm, if I'm on my phone or on my computer or on my whatever right before I'm about to go to bed, that's stimulating my brain in a way that's wanting to keep me awake. So setting those electronic curfews uh, for ourselves can be important. I actually had a coach tell me that he read some research that if you have your phone plugged in, like next to your bed, like on your nightstand, he, he said that there, was a re- there was research that was done that, that says that even just that stimulation being next to your bed can impact your sleep. So maybe plugging in our phones on the other side of the room. I don't know. But... Um, there's lots of things, several things on that sheet of paper, you know, for you that I kind of encourage you guys to read through, to look at, and maybe pick one or two in uh, practice, you know, th- this next week. Uh, you know, I encourage you guys to practice that deep breathing exercise as well, too, uh, that four square breathing, kind of going over that, feeling what that feeling of, of kind of calm and relaxation, feeling what that feels like in our bodies and kind of indifference to that stress and anxiety that we're feeling. But practice. That's another thing. I can't, can't kind of stress that enough either. These things are great tools to utilize to help us battle anxiety, but they're not going to be if we don't practice them, okay? Um, questions. I feel like I'm kind of rushing, but I feel like we kind of have to just for the sake of time. Uh, any questions that you guys have that I can help with? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of shut off? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, there's something about that electric kind of charge or stimulation that was there. Maybe that Wi-Fi is a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. Just did that practice. I would just encourage that. Putting... It's, that's what, if we're kind of tapping into that lower portion of our breath, it's kind of triggering those those chemicals to start firing. It's that deeper form of breathing. Just kind of keeping it up there in our lungs is more, yeah, it's good deep breath, but it's still more in that shallow kind of a, of, of a breath sense. We're just, we just tend to take deeper breaths when we're filling up that lower portion of our lungs as well. And when we get that, that deeper portion, that's the chemical release trigger. Yeah. Yes, sir. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would probably fall more under that clinical kind of sense. If I'm feeling anxious, but there's no reason for me to feel anxious, I mean... <laughs> Me as a therapist, I'm going to say, there's probably a reason. We just have to uncover what that reason is. But that probably has been a buildup over time, or I've, I've just dealt with that anxiety by pushing it away and not kind of dealing with it. So over time, that anxiety has just been kind of stored in that bank vault and just built up to the sense that I tend to feel anxious about most things. And so it feels like there's no natural trigger for it. So it's just that, that buildup of that anxiety. So... Yeah, this is that bigger kind of sense. But like I said, I would still kind of think just me therapeutically, that would be more of those things that we can kind of dig into and kind of pull out some of those weeds a little bit more to kind of get to that source. But, but yeah, it seems to be that buildup over time. Yeah, Tor. Do you have any, like, tactics to figure out where the anxiety is coming from? 
Um, I, I think that cross-sectional thing that I talked about, just being able to under, understand like those situations and start kind of taking another step back and seeing, am I more triggered in these situations than I am in these situations? Am I more triggered when I go out and I don't know people? So it's kind of a social thing. Or am I more triggered about just kind of fear about getting into my car and driving? Kind of a fear of like safety kind of thing. But just understanding those particular triggers more about what is bringing this anxiety to my plate. That, that, that's where you're going to start finding that. So what, what is perhaps my stronger triggers? But it just kind of is that taking that step outside yourself to really examine what's going on. Again, just breaking it down a little bit more. That's what I would encourage. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I appreciate you all. It's been good being able to be here and, and, and talk about this with you.